and not see something that is a result of the skilled trades. You can't throw a rock in this world without hitting something that the skilled trades didn't build or fix, you know? And so when people look out their window, it's white noise, landscape, all of that, you know? And it's just a, a pretty view, right? When I look out the window, I see the landscapers that had to maintain that entire yard. I see the pavers that had to, you know, uh, lay all that asphalt. I see the painters that had to paint the car lines, you know, the lines on there. I see the mechanics that have to fix the cars that actually drive on them every day. The electricians for the light posts. I mean, it's endless. So if you want to change the world, right, then look into the professions that actually build it. Welcome to the Skill Stadium. A podcast for the skilled trades. Where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 114. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Thank you for tuning in. Today's show is about a hot industry that is often overlooked and forgotten, the food and equipment industry. Hey, we all love to eat out sometimes, right? So, you know, for anyone who has eaten out, we want to make sure that all the equipment in those restaurants are working. And if you want to learn about something, you want to go to the pros. Yes, the people who are actually doing the work. So allow me to introduce today's guest. My guest is the president of Windy City Equipment in Gilbert, Arizona. His company focuses on servicing commercial kitchens. They have worked with restaurants such as Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, Taco Bell, to name a few. My guest is a fellow podcaster and the host of Blue is the New White. My guest is most proud of making the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies in 2008-2019. Entering the stadium, today's guest, please welcome Josh Zolin. Josh, how are you today? Oh, good, man, especially after that introduction. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate it, and I'm, I'm happy to be on the show. Definitely, Josh. Well, I'm, I'm excited to have you. I've, I've seen your podcast before. I've been following it, and I'm a huge fan of the work you do. I got to ask you something. How did you connect with Chick-fil-A? Because that, that is a phenomenal company, strong company culture I'm sure you're aware of. And just kind of curious, how did you get connected with them? So uh, Chick-fil-A, that one was a little bit interesting. They run a little bit of a different business model for those who aren't familiar with it. So Chick-fil-A has operators. And so they're almost like partial owners of the store. And uh, I think they're limited to two stores a piece. Take everything that I, I'm saying with a grain of salt because I don't know exactly. But, uh, but it is um, a little bit different of a model uh, they'd like. So whatever skilled trades professional they would like for HVAC, refrigeration, cooking equipment, whatever it may be. And uh, we were lucky enough to where we got in when corporate actually came in and announced that they were going to be doing almost blanket PM programs for their operators here in Phoenix. It was a pilot uh, system that they were running. And so we were able to get up in front of all the operators and in front of corporate and speak and say, hey, this is what we're about. This is what we do. And um, basically uh, go through an RFP process that way. And we were selected as one of the vendors to perform these PMs. Excellent. Have you learned anything new about them as a culture, company culture, working with them? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, they're, they're a great company. And, um, you know, I, I will say one of our values here is uh, at, at, at WCE is own everything. Right. Uh, so it's an extreme ownership type of value. And so uh, that really meshes well with the Chick-fil-A 
proud because of their stance as operators and owners of the store. And so, you know, they really take to heart everything that goes in and comes out of their facility and uh, and take ownership over that. So really good synergy with regard to that. Definitely. Can you tell us how and why you decide to pursue a career in food and equipment? Because it's, it's not really an industry that a lot of people know and it's not something that people tell you about in school, I'm sure. No, and I'll lead that by saying I didn't choose it, it chose me for lack of a better for lack of a better term. So the story goes a little something uh, like this. Uh, my dad was a foreman at a bakery for a long time in Chicago, right? Hence the name Windy City Equipment. And uh, he had moved from Chicago to Arizona to pursue a career in uh, restaurant equipment repair. So like a smaller scale version of what he was working on in, in these industrial bakeries, right? You still have ovens, fryers, and stoves. They're just, you know, 10 times the size in a bakery compared to a restaurant. So anyway, he moved out to Arizona. Arizona. At the time, I was living in California as a stuntman. And uh, after I got done basically with that career, I had called my dad up and I said, Dad, I have no idea what you do for a living, but I'd like to come out and work with you. You know, I want to learn the trade and I don't want to see you on your hands and knees your entire life. And that's how I got started. So at the time, it was just him running the business and um, just running calls out of a truck. He'll be the first to tell you he's a mechanic <laughs> through and through. And so then I joined him and uh, and learned the trade that way. Back up for a second. I got to ask you something that you mentioned. You were a stuntman. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I, I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that one always draws a little bit of attention. So I come from a, a long line of stunt people. My grandfather, his name's Kim Kahana. He was one of the first stunt people in the industry to actually call himself a stuntman. So, you know, old, uh, it started in the cowboy days, riding horses and stuff like that, and then moved into the film industry. And so he doubled for people like Charles Bronson, Elvis Presley. He was close with Chuck Norris and all those guys. And so all my uncles on my grandfather's side, this is my maternal side, not my paternal side. So all my uncles were stunt people. My mom was a stunt person. And my dad, before he repaired restaurant equipment, bakery equipment, was also in the stunt business. That's how he and my mom met because she was teaching the school and he went through it. So uh, it was a family business, actually. And so I grew up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And the second I turned 18, I went back to Hollywood and pursued the, uh, the stunt industry myself because that's what I grew up knowing. Anybody that you met that really had a profound impact or that really impressed you in Hollywood? You know, there's a lot of impressive people in Hollywood uh, and a lot of people I didn't get along with. So they had a, an impression on me that it was still an impression, but probably not the one that you're referring to. <laughs> I won't name names there, but it was a lot of fun, man. And at the end of the day, um, it was an ego play for me. And I, I'm not uh, ashamed to admit that. Listen, you know, I got to go to the Emmys and these red carpet events, you know, meet some of the stars, you know, I hung out with uh, David Spade and Jessica Alba and, you know, some of these well-known actors and actresses that, uh, that are at these red carpet events, um, which was just, it was fun, right? And above all else, when somebody asked me what I did for a living, it was really cool to say, hey, I light myself on fire and jump off buildings. What do you do? <laughs> you know, so uh, I mean, the whole industry had an impact on me. But at the end of the day, it just it wasn't me. I was an entrepreneur. I wasn't uh, a rag doll, you know, for for somebody that uh, director deemed more important than me. And at the end of the day, that's what being a stunt person is. But you know what? You got to fulfill what most people would say is probably maybe a dream or something you've always wanted to do. 
And so you'll have no regrets in life because you can check that off the uh, check that off the list. Absolutely. So, so um, can you tell us about you know your podcast? You you know because I I've been listening to it. I know you've been doing this since 2019. You've been a few years into this. Tell us about your podcast. Sure. So the podcast, as you alluded, we started in 2019, uh, same year that uh, that I published the book, Blue is the New White. And the podcast was actually a spinoff of the book, although it was completely unintentional, right? When the when the book was released, I had a, a ton of industry-related outreach, you know, people within the trades reaching out to me saying, thank you for writing this. This was missing in our school systems, you know, and, and this is just a, a great resource for, you know, kids these days. And so I I started to have a lot of these conversations and uh, it, it dawned on me, well, hey, you know, why, why don't we have these conversations on camera, you know, and record it? And so that kind of led into uh, creating a platform for successful tradespeople and people around the trades and advocates of the trades to come on and share their successes in hopes putting these industries back on a pedestal, right? And um, making them once again respected and revered uh, the way that they once were. So that's really what it is, giving trade people a platform to tell the world all the reasons why it's a successful career and shouldn't be looked at as second rate or second tier. I also like the fact that you bring on a wide variety of guests from young women, Shannon Tomasco, who's an electrician, and that gives, you know, most people don't think of, she's a very, she's a young woman. She's, I think she's in her early 30s. She looks very young. She looks younger. And we have stereotypes. Most people would not would would look at Shannon and say, "Oh, that's not electrician," but she very good at what she does, and she's uh, very knowledgeable and she has a strong online presence. And I think people like yourself put a spotlight on that. So you're showing, "Hey, this is possible." Here's somebody who uh, and stories resonate with people. Do you? How do you decide who you want to have on the show? Do you reach out to people? Do they reach out to you? How are you deciding, okay, this person would be a great guest? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a little bit of both. I've had people reach out to me and I've reached out to people more often than not. I'd say it's probably an 80-20 split. About 80% of the time I, I reach out to people, 20% of the time they reach out to me. You know, but it's a pretty simple process. You know, I take a look at uh, their history and what they've contributed to uh, to the skilled trades or I have a conversation, you know, if they're not, uh, if they don't have a huge online presence because I'm, you know, my show is not limited to people with online presence. You know, it's a, it's really a wide variety. I've, I've interviewed several local uh, tradespeople and stuff like that, just who have a deep appreciation for the work that they do, right? And at the end of the day, at the heart of it, that's what I'm trying to showcase is that, hey, you know, there's so many stigmas and so many stereotypes going around about, you know, these industries, plumbing, electricians, you know, food service equipments, HVAC, refrigeration. I mean, there's so much that the public doesn't know. I really make a point to bring on people who truly value what they do so they can speak openly about it and uh, in hopes of resonating with some of my listeners. Yes, no, I, I agree. I, I have to say I have listened to some of your guests who have ended up being guests of mine, and it, it helps because I learn about them. You know, as you're preparing, the, you know, for to doing an interview, the best way to learn about somebody is to listen to them on a podcast. And so I'll admit your podcast has been a great resource for me in terms of, you know, I'm researching somebody and go, oh, they were on the Blue is, Blue is a New White podcast. So I, I'll just listen to that podcast and you can see there was a guy i think it was brad peterson oh gosh i'm butchering his name iowa oh brandon patterson 
Brandon Patterson. Yes, Brandon Patterson. And, and I'm embarrassed. I had him as a guest on my podcast, but I'm forgetting his name. But I was, you were interviewing him and he mentioned something about his grandmother, you know, running a, uh, a business. And I saw how he lit up when you were talking to him about that. So guess what I asked him about? His grandmother, you know, but you learned so much about the guests and I could see the passion that you brought out in him. I was, you know, so I've learned a lot from watching you and um, just seeing the guests that you bring on. And um, it definitely, I think people need to see stories. Stories resonate with people. It's not enough to just show data points about the skill traits. I think you need someone who's like, okay, when I, when I went through this process, here's what it was like. Here's what I learned. Here's what I struggled with. Here's, because then if I'm a young person, I'm looking at that. Now I'm getting a, a real picture of what it's like to do that job. And I think that's the beauty of, of what we're doing because we have guests who will just, I have a term called tell it like it is not sugar-coated, you know, not the Google version of the job, but here's what we really do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you know, you, you look back at some of the guests, too, that have gone through things that maybe some of the listeners are, are currently going through or will go through or have gone through, you know, people like uh, Jamie McMillan or Ryan Monkman, you know, who have had hard childhoods and hard pasts and use the skilled trades to overcome that and find success. I mean, those are some of the best stories that you can't articulate with an infographic. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100%. Hey, uh, you know, you're, you're a busy man. You have a family, you're running a business. Tell me about your company culture. I was, you know, I was watching a video of one of your, um, I guess it was one of your employees who was talking about, hey, I want to retire from your company. And you don't really hear that too often. And that really impressed me. T tell us about your company culture. Yeah, so company culture is a funny thing, right? Because uh, I feel like it's a buzzword these days, right? People talk a lot about culture and, and what it should be and what it has to be in order for you to succeed, you know? And so whenever this topic comes up, I really like to just set the record straight and say, listen, your, your company culture is an extension of you, right? And so whatever that means, for better or worse, that's what it is. And I want to stress that point. Like, you know, I mean, I know of a company that was super, they were very proud being passive aggressive, right? That was their, that was the leadership team's mentality was to be passive aggressive. And I mean, not like in a super detrimental kind of way, but like you had, like, it was amazing because the entire leadership team was passive aggressive and they knew it and they were proud of it and it worked. Because because that's who they brought on. That's who they hired is people who had that that same mannerism, right? So the company culture that I've created here, I shouldn't say that I've created, that I'm still creating, right? Because it's a fluid thing, living, breathing, you know, is it's an extension of me. It's it's what everything that that I've used to build the company to where it is today, you know, I mean, the video that you're referencing, you know, the uh, I think I know which one you're talking about. Uh, JT is probably the, the technician, the one that said he, he wants to retire here, right? And uh, listen, I started out in the field. I'm, you know, my, my dad, like I said, he's a mechanic through and through. And, you know, he raised me uh, to, to have that same work ethic. So I know what it's like to be out there. And so, you know, so, so when he says in that video that we don't treat people like a number, right, that's not necessarily a value of ours, but that's something that we truly believe that's part of our culture, right? We don't treat people like a number. I know what it feels like to be on those rooftops when it's 120 degrees outside 
or underneath that oven, you know, when during rush hour, when people, chefs and cooks are stepping all over you, you know, I get that. So, you know, we try to use that to our advantage and, and let it resonate throughout the company that, hey, you know, you're not a number, you're a person and you're a person helping us build something right? Helping us build something bigger than ourselves, which is ultimately what I'm most passionate about. You know, I love people, but at the end of the day, like my mission in life is to build something, you know, worth talking about, worth telling a story about, and, you know, be able to lay my head on the pillow at night, knowing that I've accomplished something not only for me, but for my family and for all of my employees as well. Definitely. Josh, I also wonder the fact that you've done that actual work, the employees, they're aware of that, right? They're aware that you've been in the trenches. I got to believe that that gives them a higher level of respect for you because they know you've done what they're doing. So that's got to impact the relationship in some way or another. I should hope so. Um, you know, I don't know that it would be in the best taste to ask, but I would think, right? I would really hope easier than others for, for them to, you know, have that kind of respect, depending on what policies I'm changing that day. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're a fast growing company. So you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But, you know, I think that, um, I, again, I think that empathy is important. I think that, and I think you have that. So I think that that definitely helps with the, um, with the relationship. And also, even as you're a fast-growing company, there's still, you still have relationships with the people who work for you. You understand where their strengths are and how to position them to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, listen, you know, Keith, you and I both know that's easier said than done, right? And as you go through and you and you grow a business and, and you get to know people, like that's the hardest part of my job, right? It's not the customer acquisition. It's not managing the people and really putting them in a position to succeed because everybody is different, right? You can't have, especially in my position in the company, like you can't have what I like to call canned leadership, right? It's, it's got to be catered to the individual. And as the company gets bigger and bi physically stand in front of every single employee and say, what can I do for you? You know, that's something that's got to be cascaded. And you mentioned company culture, right? You, you need to have a set of values and those are your leaders. So you have that same, you know, that same feel throughout the entire organization. Talk about feeling accomplished, you know, the one day a year that it all actually works is the best day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. It, it, I see. I hear what you're saying. So your profession, why should young people go into this profession? Why should they pursue a career in it? I love this question. This is a great question, Keith, because it's the question I think that we're all trying to answer in the days of the skilled trades gap, right, where people are retiring out of these industries faster than they're entering into it. The best answer that I have for that is that I, I look around and um, I see these generations coming up, right? And they sometimes they get a bad rap, you know? Yes. Every generation, yeah. I think, yeah. has something to say about the generation behind it, right? <laughs> and uh, But I have to say, you know, you mentioned empathy and uh, and a lot of these younger generations have it, you know? What, they, what they're accused of not having a lot of times is work ethic. I don't think that that's the case. I think that they just have a stronger realization than some of the other generations. And so what I like to say, is that I see an entire generation or two that want to change the world, right? Which is unbelievable. It's awesome, right? I mean, it's it's exactly what we need. And so the emphasis that we need to make is that if you want to change the world, why not 
take on a career in a profession that actually manufactures it, right? Because you can't look out the window and not see something that is a result of the skilled trades. You can't throw a rock in this world without hitting something that the skilled trades didn't build or fix, you know? And so when people look out their window, it's white noise, landscape, all of that, you know? And it's just a, a pretty view, right? When I look out the window, I see the landscapers that had to maintain that entire yard. I see the pavers that had to, you know, lay all that asphalt. I see the painters that had to paint the car lines, you know, the lines on, on there. I see the mechanics that have to fix the cars that actually drive on them every day. The electricians, you know, for the uh, for the light posts. I mean, it's endless. So if you want to change the world, right, then look into the professions that actually build it. Yeah, I agree. Well said. I, I, I had an interview with the welder and the welder, she was saying, um, we build everything. There's not a single thing that we don't touch. I think it was Jamie McMillan was talking about my grandfather or uncle or somebody you know, built that building and was very proud of it. And those buildings are going to be around when you're long gone, when all of us are gone. So that is a very good point to make. I think that a lot of people don't even see it that way. I've, I've never even seen it that way of changing the world. You're, you're building things that are going to be beyond. They're going to be there when you're gone. So you make a very good point. That is, and that is changing the world. It's just directing them into the direction. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. No, I definitely get it. How do we expose and educate students and parents to the food and equipment business, like to your profession specifically? Because I think the challenge also falls with the parents who are pushing their kids. Because the parents are probably the biggest influencers, probably the biggest gatekeeper that you have to get around. So how do you convince those parents that their kids, those parents are setting set set on sending their kids to college that your profession is a viable profession. <laughs> right. It's bringing the clean water in and the bad water out. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, parents want what's best for their kids. At the end of the day, that's that's it. I mean, 99.9% .9 of parents want what's best for their kids. And if you're in that 0.1%, then go F yourself. But, uh, <laughs> but, I don't, but listen, you know, so what they're doing when they're pushing their kids towards college, manufacture that success. So in order for us to be a viable option, you know, right, that's educational, informational, and that can resonate not only with the parents, but also with the kids, which is the hard part, right? Because how do you yes. how, how do you walk that line yes. where it's going to inform, yes. you know, who needs to be informed yeah. and then entertain who needs to be entertained? It's not yes. an easy position to be in. And that's really how I tried to write the book as well is, you know, from the corner of the student or the child, you know, but with enough information to where it's undeniable for the educator or the parent to, you know, find credibility in it. And I think that's yes. that's the line we have to continue to walk. So, you know, and that's high level, right? From that perspective, from a more granular is a wonderful industry. You can find so much success in it and there's so many different avenues to go, but we have a marketing problem. <laughs> Right. And that's that's really what it is, is how do we get this industry in front of them? Like what yes. medium yes. do we have to use? You know, I've chose the education system, the school systems, you know, to try to get it to the counselors and educators first. So maybe they can help, you know, transition it yes. to the parents. Right. And ultimately, both would have to influence the student or the child, you know. But the question, how do you get it directly to the parents? That, that ain't an easy one to answer. <laughs> I think one of the things that parents, addressing a concern for most parents, 
especially as your kids get older, is they want their kids to be able to make a living wage. That's universal. That's every parent wants their kid at a certain age to be able to feed, clothes, and house themselves. That's universal. I don't care what, what race, politics, gender, whatever you're into. That's every parent. And so I think letting parents know that this is a sound investment, meaning that you're not spending the money that you would spend on a college and the time that you'd spend on a college, and this is what you're getting in terms of return. We can also just uh, use a little bit of common sense. Restaurants are going to be here. They're not going anywhere. That business is not going to change. Food, you know, like that's never going to go away. You can't outsource that. The pandemic proved that. So... Most parents want to know that their kids have secure employment. So I'm just speaking as an outsider that I would imagine that that's going to give you a living wage. You know, I've seen salaries in HVAC and, and I know HVAC is a big part of your industry. They're making good money. There are everybody in the, I shouldn't, I mean, I know I'm generalizing a bit, but the majority of people in the skilled trades make a living wage. I can comfortably say that. I don't know what you pay, but I can guess that people are making a living wage working for you in your industry. I don't have to know the exact figures. That's not important right now, but people will make a living wage enough to feed clothes and house themselves. And I think that's what <laughs> most parents want for their kids. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned it too, is security, right? The, the number one reason why when I ask people why they recommend college is job security. And you hit the nail on the head. Like even the pandemic has shown us that this industry, you know, is very, very resilient, even more stadiums, which probably isn't the greatest example in, in this, this one, but uh, nursing homes, food storage facilities, soup kitchens, you know, I mean, all these places have this equipment, you know, and it's not going away. It's not, you know, and depending on your market, like I know that, you know, you didn't want to say numbers or anything like that. But you know, as a food service technician, you're looking at anywhere between 30 and $40 an hour on the low end these days, you know, just just fixing ovens, fryers, stoves, that kind of stuff. And if you want a job, you know, come to my website <laughs> and, and apply because that skilled trade shortage is a real thing, you know, but you're absolutely right. The job security is unmatched in the skilled trades because when you're building civilization, it doesn't stop. Can you repeat that, that salary again? Because I didn't want to mention it just because I, I don't think it's my place to go spew off what you're paying. So that's why I didn't mention it. But that's a good way. It's between 30 and $40 an hour. And that's before overtime. So, you know, depending on uh, on, on how much you actually work and in the skilled trades, wow. yeah, overtime is a thing, that's right? Nice. And uh, listen, that's I want to be clear, right? Large. It's not, you're not going to make <laughs> that right out the gate, right? But uh, as an experienced technician, you know, and in... Here's what it boils down to for everybody in the skilled trades, your employer, your manager, your supervisor, whatever, they need to trust that you can perform the repairs or the duties and they're not going to get a phone call. If you can successfully do that, it won't be long before you can basically demand any wage you want. I mean, and that's that's really what it boils down to. If I can send a technician and I know that I'm not going to get a call from the customer and that technician is going to is going to go through every single one of those steps, you know, from repairing the equipment to informing the customer to filling out their paperwork properly and everything in between. I mean, that's when you get those higher wages. How do you know before you even bring somebody on if they have those capabilities? Like you've seen enough people come in and out. Is there something that you look at and questions that you obviously the questions you can ask, but do you have a pretty good idea when people are coming in 
whether, okay, this person's going to... You want to say, yeah, you know, but but some people interview a lot better than others, you know, and that is the age-old question. Like, we... We've actually revamped our hiring process. We have a three-tier interview process now, and it's still, we recognize the the skills gap and we need to bring people on fast, right? Streamlined. So, you know, we have a, how we do it is we've got a vetting process, uh, that first need in this organization, yes or no. Okay, then they move on to the second one, which to your point earlier, Keith, is a culture fit interview. Will they fit the culture? Do they belong here from a character and personality standpoint, you know, or are they going to, you know, they're going to rift with. And the best way that I have found to to find people with the skills that we're talking about is to make them do it in the interview. Anybody can say they do it, Keith, but there are a few people that can actually do it when you put it in front of them. So we have here, we've got sabotaged pieces of equipment where during the interview process, we say, okay, diagnose this. Tell me what's wrong with this. You know, we have that for every position, you know, with the uh, with the dispatchers. Here, here's a bunch of post-it notes. Organize this schedule. You know, actually make them perform the work that they're going to be doing, and that will give you... It's no secret that our shortage of talent is bottlenecking our growth. We've been very fortunate to grow and be on that Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for three years. That has been awesome. But we can still only grow as fast as we can find people. And that's a... Not sure all the ins and outs of what happened, you know, but there are all, there's a lot of turnover in the industry now, and it's really difficult to turn over than we've been used to over the last couple of months. And we've actually had to spirit of not overworking our technicians because we are short staffed, you know, uh, we've had to scale back some of those customers on our customer list. And, you know, of course, we start with the ones that, you know, don't pay on time or don't treat our technicians well or whatever it may be because they're out there, you know, but it is it's it affects our how do we mitigate that, right? We've actually created two apprenticeship programs here now, one in the install department and one in the preventative maintenance department, where you have two levels in each, and each one is simultaneously working their way to junior technician, right, which is where those paths converge. And so we've just elevated two, I believe, two churning people through this machine, and now this is the first time that they've gained enough experience, you know, to get into that junior technician role, which is, that's a, that's 100% on them. So we have... Uh, we we purposely did not make it time based. We made it task based, right? So in order to move through the levels, you need to know X, Y, and Z. You have to learn those before you can advance. That's right. So you know, you mentioned that you're hiring. How concerned are you about the skills gap? Because people are getting older and leaving the industry. I heard I heard you mention it, and I mean this has an impact on a company that's growing. Right. So as an owner, from just from the owner's perspective, how do you rate that as a concern for you? Is that, is that a high concern or is it? Yeah, we get a mix of people, you know, um, some younger kids. We had a couple kids right out of high school, partnered with some trade schools in the area. And yeah, we've had some people that have had uh, career changes, you know, in the past. Um, I think uh, one there's some, one guy on our staff that was a mailman for a long time. His transition was was really great. And I think that's what it boils down to with a lot of people is as you grow, you have roles is, you know, what I'll call them. You know, we had one guy in an, in an HR role for a long time. He switched careers, but they have this this burning desire to work with their hands, right? To create something, you know, tangible or fix something, you know, where somebody can look them in the eye and say, hey, thank you for, <laughs> for helping me today. How long does it take you to get them to that position? Yeah, there's that level of maturity, you know, $70,000 a year to 
$40,000 a year as an apprentice, you know, or 35 or whatever it is. You know, I think our apprentices start at $18 an hour now. So whatever that translates to. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's a big blow to some people, especially if, you know, you've had somebody who, who knows, you know, what they want to do. I like that process. Yeah. Because everybody learns at a different pace. Some people are going to get quicker. Some people are. Are you finding that the typical apprentices are much younger or do you get some people who have changed careers or a little bit more older and mature? If you're serious about wanting to be in this profession, there's not anybody who doesn't want you there. Okay. That's number one. You got to know that, that there's nobody that does not want you in the profession or at least to give it a shot. So what I would do, the first, first and foremost is uh, go online, commercial food equipment repair or commercial kitchen repair. You know, however you can word it, find the companies in your area that do what we do and call them up and say, listen, I want to get into it. I'm going to tell you this right now, okay? Between me and you, Keith, and all your listeners, very rarely do I get that phone call that says, I would love to be in your industry. So I'm waiting for it, bro. Like, you know, I am, if I get that phone call, I'm like, when can you come in? Like, get in here. You can take out the trash. You know, you can be on the PM crew. You can be our, a lot of times they start as a parts runner, right? They'll, uh, they'll come in and, and take parts to the t- technicians and stuff like that. Then that gets them in as a helper, you know, and they can help uh, change some of the parts and stuff like that. Call them up. You say, I want to be in your industry. How can you help me get there? And they will. Yeah. I think the second career people are, it's like going back to school when you're older. You know what you're doing. You know why you're doing it. So you're about getting that business. You're about getting the, getting on with the, uh, with the business at hand. Aside from all the sports scores that I could have bet on. Uh, one question I want to ask, you know, and this is very important, kind of a call to action. What, what's one thing people considering your profession can do right now to prepare? What's something tactical that you can give them if they're interested in coming in your profession what would you have them do before they even reach out to you? I'd probably, man, that's hard, Keith, because I, listen, you sent me these questions, you know, I, I saw this question, right? But then I started to think about that a little bit more, and I started to question whether or not I would even want to know, because is, are you happy? And I would adjust accordingly, depending on what I said. <laughs> Final question. If you could talk to your older self, the 2032 version of Josh. What would you ask yourself? What do you think you'd want to know that could probably help you in the future? (laughs) Yes, Josh, I love it. (laughs) That's all right. Good answer. That's powerful. Josh, I appreciate you being a guest on the Skill Stadium podcast. Please tell people how they can find you. Yeah, earnest questions. Thank you. For anybody looking, you can find me anywhere on social. My handle is at Josh Zolan, no spaces, or you can go to bluesthenewwhite.com. I'll have my podcast on cooking equipment side, kitchen equipment side, wcecommercial.com. We'll get you there. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.